High fashion is a highly competitive space. Between powerful legacy brands and new upstart e-commerce companies, it can be hard to reach picky high-end consumers. So how do you stand out and build an audience of incredibly loyal and engaged buyers? I'm your host, Kara Hogan, and today we're jumping stiletto-clad feet first into high fashion. This is The Empowered Marketer. Anisha Rao has fashion buyers down to a science. She's the strategy and digital marketing manager for two different high fashion online retailers, Need Supply and Totokeo. Both brands have an intense focus on curating the very best products from a mix of well-known brands and up-and-coming independent designers. The challenge is in appealing to buyers who have completely different needs, preferences, and styles all on one site. Anisha is constantly working to provide value through marketing that is both thoughtful and highly personalized. She's a background in digital advertising at Google and later transitioned to working at Betabrand, a crowdfunded e-commerce fashion brand. This combination of tech skills and fashion savvy has served her well. I've always really been interested in fashion personally. I derive a lot of inspiration from like fashion editorials and, you know, the go-tos. So I always wanted to kind of steer my way into the world of luxury fashion. So it needs supply in Totokayo. Both companies are third-party aggregators of various brands. We also have our own lines. So Need Supply has its own line called Need, an eponymous line. And then Totokayo has a line called Viden. And both lines are really beautiful and, and well-made and well-done. So it's just really exciting to get to see all of that on the inside, both the production process, like not, I'm not directly involved in that, but it's definitely nice to hear of it. And um, just kind of understanding what it takes to maintain a brand image that is like an aggregate of other brands. Yeah, that that's actually what I wanted to talk about next, this idea of like curating the two and how you actually balance managing a two brands, but really multiple brands within two brands. A unifying factor across both companies is just the styling team, which is so unbelievably important, where you can see a product from an in-house line adjacent to something from APC or from Acne and really understand that stylistically, these can all cohesively work together. And I think both companies do a great job of that in that the brands that we select, um, we have a really impressive merchant team and our brand matrix is varied and it's always a combination of established brands and new and emerging brands. And I think that they do a great job of just making sure that the brands they select are part of the brand matrix aesthetic. Um, there are certain brands on the need supply side, like Ashley Rowe. It's like very, very small Marfa based kind of like custom pieces. And I, I absolutely adore her work. It's, it's just really interesting because I think that our website can be a platform for smaller brands as well. So it's nice kind of leveraging our weight in the space to just ensure that our customers are getting a really diverse product assortment that reflects their evolution of style. I would love to hear a little bit more about how you manage the two. Like, how do you think about the two brands? Do you separate them mentally or is it really like you're managing one? I'm very lucky to have a bird's eye view of performance across both brands. Um, the interesting thing about the digital space is that it's a little bit agnostic in terms of company. That That can be like fleshed out a little bit. I'll put like multiple asterisks after that sentence. But I guess what I meant by that is that managing a digital advertising portfolio 
the fundamental strategies are oftentimes very similar, no matter what the brand is. Uh, that being said, I have been surprised over and over again when taking successful strategies from, from one brand and trying to apply it to the other to see it not working and vice versa, understanding that the consumer for both brands, those consumers are fundamentally different. And so need supply, I like to think of like consumers in terms of a variety of personas. And we certainly have like a variety of demographics represented for both companies. And so I've kind of done the work in terms of just trying to conceptualize who I'm talking to and then trying to deliver something that's ultimately so personalized that it speaks to the person as an individual, which I think is really the fundamental strategy behind our marketing team. It is just ensuring that each consumer is spoken to on an individual basis. I would love to hear about the difference between those two personas. What what are the target markets for Need Supply and Totokela? Like what what do you think about that? I guess I would like almost like reframe the question instead of like target markets, I would say like who is our our consumer our consumer skews young for both need supply and Totokayo, someone who is interested in fashion certainly, someone who um usually we have people in coastal cities and we have people who are interested in lifestyles that are in accordance with travel. And, you know, like when you're thinking of like millennials, like and what they, what they like, you know, I'm just like, I'm like going around and like trying not to describe a millennial. <laughs> I like, I think that what's really interesting are like the differences. Um, so for example, like Need Supply has a really, really prominent customer in Dallas and that's a huge customer base for us. And just kind of trying to cultivate, cultivate conversations to that person because that person is fundamentally different from just like every customer. That person actually prefers bags usually and like professional accessories. So they're usually buying like our Miriam Nasera's a day shoes or purses of a certain brand. And um, they're, they're behaving differently from, you know, just like an aggregate. Uh, we also have our kind of Los Angeles customer on the need supply side. That customer skews female, honestly, like skews uh, to certain brands like Norse Projects. She likes J.W. Anderson. The male customer in Los Angeles likes Alden Shoes, which are of a higher price point and have like uh, a lot of brand notoriety. We have a customer in Canada. That customer, like the frequencies are different as well. That The customer in Canada is usually wearing John Elliott jeans, usually wearing like an off-white t-shirt. He really likes the Chelsea boot, which is a, a boot by Common Projects. And then he's really into the um, like Stone Island jackets. So, I mean, there are all sorts of like kind of geographical specifics. I'd say our best customers are probably our existing customers. We have a lot of brand loyalty for both companies. And so a lot of our kind of like internally, like, you know, we see people coming back again and again. And that's, that's really what I think uh, my team hopes to accomplish alongside acquiring new purchasers. But our loyal purchasers are ideally just really connecting with like the brand aesthetic and also the brand's intention. We have pretty robust editorial sections across both brands. So that's where we essentially comment on, you know, going ons in like, for example, Totokaya, we have an office in New York. And so a lot of the editorial content is New York focused, but our creative team for Need Supplies based out of Los Angeles. And so um, we have like, I think visually just like these beautiful backgrounds and we're trying to like tell various stories, whether that be like the trends for the summer or reemergences of certain like sartorial trends that 
perhaps are, are like imminent. So like a combination of predicting what's going to happen and also commenting on what's happening. Um, so I think that we're expanding like our uh, ability to speak on fashion as a whole as we um, build out more editorial content that speaks to our customer. Yeah, I did check out those sections of the site, the editorial parts, and they are really interesting. It feels very magazine-like. And I also noticed that it seems like the sites of both brands have like a very minimalist aesthetic. Do you think that's important to the brand? Obviously, you're dealing with a high fashion customer. So do you think that that's a big part of kind of how you position yourselves? I think that goes back to what I was talking about when we're really trying to speak to everyone individually. So I think that like, I certainly hold blank space dear in, you know, design and in my own life. You know, I was reading this book and it was one portion of this book was an analysis of why children gravitate towards cartoons so much. And this author was saying that because the cartoon is not human, because there is a bit of interpretation and a bit of projection in the way that you see it, a child is more active and participatory in interpreting that cartoon because they can put on it what they don't understand yet. That concept holds true for minimalism, where you can really like apply to it the kind of aesthetic you seek and the aesthetic that you like, because um, not like it's not there are spaces that are kind of left intentionally blank for you, the customer. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. You talk a lot about all of these people that you know, these customers that you know. It seems like you really treat them like a person. And so, how do you think about that idea of personalization when it comes to marketing to your audience? Yeah. So I think that that's really, really necessary when it comes to speaking to your audience. So as far as kind of marketing strategy goes, um, we try and ensure that every action a customer takes that is relevant is factored into how they're delivered messaging. So whether that be a dynamic grid insertion in an email or whether that be, um, you know, like a browse abandonment email or an abandoned cart email, um, that that's kind of just understanding that you have expressed interest in our brand and we'd like to kind of further your interest. And the same thing holds true for the editorial content. Like I think that once we understand um, what our customer likes, we try and build out like a kind of story where we can, we can kind of do the hard work of aggregating information and digesting information and just like output something that's fun to read and maybe cool to look through. As far as where I see that going in the future, like I really do think that the way that we think about email right now in terms of the B2C space is pretty static. And I think that entire process can be a little more dynamic where really like no two people should be receiving the same email. And that's not just a dynamic dynamic component of the email, like a grid. It's like the construction of the email itself. Um, It's like the construction of the email down to the layout, down to what content you're delivered. Really like B2C companies in order to kind of day in this space, we have really had to progress from a technology perspective to ensure that we're always delivering what's best for our customer. And, you know, perhaps you have a customer who's really interested in, you know, buying shoes once a month, like, let's make sure that they can do that. Maybe you have a customer who's interested in reading editorials, and they're not really interested in buying let's make sure that they can read the best editorials that we have. Like we really just want to serve either content or products to people who want to see them. So I think that effective marketing isn't about kind of convincing someone to buy something that that's nice when it happens, but for the company, but 
ultimately, like if it's not the right fit, like if the customer isn't happy with their product, like that's not a win for us. Um, So it's about showing the right products and the right content to the right people and hoping that something resonates that's maybe a little bigger than just our companies themselves. Like I think fashion in its purest form is about identity, about assuming an identity that is yours and also constructing an identity. And fashion is so ephemeral like there's nothing like concrete it's not like a statue you know there's no statue maybe the big designers would disagree with me but I think that fashion is a little more haphazard but it's so personal and the kind of intention that you take in building your outfit in the morning um, and someone who cares about that on like a really fundamental way I think like that's the person that we're speaking to or a person that we're maybe like aspirationally speaking to, I think that we all have that in us. We all have that. We have an identity. We have the way we feel about ourselves and we have like things we hold dear. It's great to be part of a company that kind of helps people identify themselves. Yeah, I love that. So when you're talking about giving them that right mix of content and editorial and, you know, maybe different items that they might be interested in, how do you figure that out? How do you figure out what is the right mix? I mean, do you test a lot of things? What do you do to to kind of plan around these really different individual people? The trick there is like good logic. So logic constructions that allow the flexibility of one evaluating the testing method and two just giving us an indication whether or not it's working or not. In terms of logic constructions, you can apply certain weights to various actions. For example, if someone clicks on a product, like that, that can have a certain weight. If someone buys a product, that can have a certain weight. If someone like looks at a product, that can have a certain weight. And so it's just really like a combination of just like, or, or really what it is, it's a translation of how do you, how do you construct a series of logic statements that reflects a successful customer journey or a customer journey that has yet to happen uh, based on behavior. So how do you quantify behavior and then in turn transform that into execution? There are myriad ways to do that. The basic component is a strong foundation in data science. And then also, I think that biases are really great. Like I think that biases are really great as long as you're aware of them, applying your own biases and kind of just testing whether or not your predictions or I'm, I'm saying you kind of universally, your predictions actually materialize is actually a really great way of understanding, all right, I have this bias in terms of how the customers act and that's not true. Or I, I think this and that's actually true. It's a combination of just quantitative and qualitative intelligence. And fundamentally, like I think that a lot of people do a lot of work in order to you know, make websites work for humans. And so just having this overall mantra that you're talking to a human is really important. And putting yourself in that person's shoes and just say, like, how would I like to be delivered this? Like, how do I like being spoken to? I think that's hard for some people to do. But if you do it well, it works so well. I think it helps a lot sometimes as a marketer, if you are the audience or similar to the audience, that's always helpful. But yeah, we're big believers in the importance of customer loyalty. So how do you actually incentivize repeat purchases for your buyers and push them to become a loyal customer? we're building out a lot of our loyalty programming right now. A lot of the program advancements are to come, but I think that the way that we think about our customers is certainly in the context of always trying to just ensure that someone, if they feel passionate about the brands themselves, they they are a loyal customer. And so I think that a lot of 
the strategy that I was referencing regarding like the editorial content is part of this overarching loyalty strategy that we're actively working on. Because ultimately, you want to make sure that you're cultivating great customers and that they feel like really connected to your brand. We definitely have events here um, in Richmond and we have events in New York where Totokayo has so many beautiful installations. Like they had an installation with La Mer recently. And I think that being that presence in New York and creating that physical space for people who like maybe an alternative, like not fashion, fashion brand is really important. And the same thing holds true for Need Supply. We'll have events and like store raffles for Yeezys, for example. You know, I think that that our local customer base really appreciates that there is that physical presence here and that there is uh, a steward as far as just ensuring that fashion and people who really love fashion have a space. I've actually written a blog post recently about how a lot of these like really buzzy early e-com only sites now have pop-up shops, have, you know, stores in specific locations. And clearly it's working really well. You know, you've got like you know, Bonobos and Lisa and all these different ones that all started out online and now we're like, oh, well, now we're going to open a store. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think the store is super important. Fundamentally, like everything you're trying to do in e-commerce, like you can see in person in the store, just having that face to face interaction with customers, like having the customer like touch the product. That's that's so important. So what is one time that you failed? What happened? And what did you learn from it? So this is a very easy question for me to answer because I fail constantly every day. I really do think that a lot of work in the digital space is just constantly confronting ways that you failed. As far as like kind of a bigger failure that I've took to heart, like usually those are interpersonal. Um, Like so if I like have miscommunicated something to, you know, perhaps a C-level executive or I have a report who's struggling with a concept that I'm not able to find a solution to that struggle that that hits me hard. As far as what I've learned from my failures, like interpersonally, is that you really have to recognize everyone's own reality and really just respect that. You really have to understand the ways in which your own reality is flawed and the biases and assumptions you go into a conversation or a room or a meeting with. So I think that the answer to the failures that I've experienced is that you treat everyone with kindness and the kind of respect and dignity that you hope to be treated with and really hope that that just eschews any communication misalignments that could happen. And then, you know, sometimes you're you're frustrated, you know, maybe an integration is delayed or you're encountering a stop gap or a platform isn't performing the way that it should. I really do think that kind of bringing people into a room together and thinking out loud is a great solution to that. And then also, again, just being kind to yourself and others in regards to your own failure. On the flip side, I also like to talk about success. So when did you feel most empowered at work and what did you accomplish? At Need Supply and Totokayo, I was responsible for really like managing the onboarding process for two main companies, one of which was Zayas, and the other was a company called Full Story. And after those integrations were completed and the products were live, and I kind of saw the way that the technology changed the infrastructure of the company, I felt very empowered. Now, we, we onboarded Tableau, and we're kind of working with that. And I think that that's also going to be a really powerful feeling 
feeling empowered is, I guess, a little bit different from powerful. I felt empowered in that the technology enabled others to feel empowered and that the technology adoption enabled us to understand our customer better. Looking to the future, what do you think is going to be important for B2C businesses? And how do you think the role of the B2C marketer is changing and evolving? So I think the B2C marketer is in an interesting position because she has the tools in front of her to really do whatever she wants. Like the tools are built, the tools are there, the platforms exist. It's really about understanding what should be automated and what should be manual and kind of thinking. I think that so often in so many jobs, like thinking is removed from the equation, like where we kind of become these very swift executors. And oftentimes you find yourself in a process or a workflow and asking the question, why is it done this way? And the answer is because it always has been. And I think that when you get there, you really have to stop and think about what it is you're doing. Marketing is changing in the sense that the the onus of execution is moving to the platforms, but the onus of thinking will always reside within the person, within the marketer. As far as what's important for B2C businesses in the future, I think that our entire conversation as far as like making sure content is personalized, making sure that the customer themselves are recognized uh, is very important. But I think that B2C businesses will struggle in the future with just kind of getting attention and just kind of leveraging their product assortment, or if it's a unique product, their product to really connect to customers. And I think that you know, every industry is going to face competition from startups, from companies trying to do it better. And I think that's a really good thing. The fact that technology has accelerated the ability for a company to really mature into a place that can kind of deliver minimal viable products, like that fact is really lovely. The choice and the power hopefully goes back to the consumer in just being able to select what brands they choose the truth of what the brand is and like how transparent a brand is, is going to come into play. We're gravitating as a society to more transparency in a lot of ways. And then in other ways, we're gravitating towards kind of like misinformation politically, socially companies to me that stand out are companies that try and tell the whole truth, even if it's a difficult truth to say. To learn more, check out needsupply.com and toyokayo.com. That's T-O-T-O-K-A-E-L-O.com. Are you in the fashion e-commerce world too? I'd love to hear what you thought about this episode. Tweet at me at Hogan 27 or send me an email at empoweredmarketer at That's it. And I'll see all of you lovely humans in two weeks.